bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Hello and welcome back to episode 114 of the Corinne Ninja podcast. I'm your host Corinne Ninja. I am in day two of a, fingers crossed, seven-day water fast. I have planned for this. I'm doing it very safely and responsibly. I'm getting lots of rest. I'm taking it really easy. I'm listening to my body. I'm following the protocol that the True North Clinic follows and I am feeling really good and I'm really getting so much wisdom. I've done a four-day water fast before, but this is my longest one because I just, after my, if you listen to last week's episode or the week before, is my trip to Tasmania and I just wasn't feeling, I just had a few things that made me really want to tweak things for myself and change my relationship with food even more in a more positive, mindful loving, appreciative way as a form of beautiful fuel for my body and be more able to and willing to really clear out, you know, like still for me, salts and sugars are still something that I allow too much of in my diet personally, even sugars from dates and peanut butter and some some other places, uh, like maple syrup occasionally, but still it's too much for me. And I just know that it's not helping me reach the health outcomes that I personally want as far as even the excess weight that I still have a bit of weight to lose that I would like to shift. And I just would like to, not that I'm not doing the fast for the weight loss, I'm just doing the fast to change my relationship with food overall and to really change my taste buds because when you do a water fast, you know, the food, you you get rid of that, you detox from that salt and sugar and that oil and are able to really taste food for the first time properly and all the beautiful flavours that are in whole plant food. So that's kind of where I am at at the moment. So I'm a bit spacey today. Uh, Not bad. I feel actually really, really great. Day one was so many times that I noticed, and I'm not, I'm not recommending this to everyone. This is for me. I'm very healthy. I know I have supportive doctors and people around me. I know who to contact. I know what my, where my health is at. So please don't do a water fast without getting a care, a medical team or speaking to doctors like Dr. Alan Goldhammer, Dr. Michael Clapper, getting some support, Dr. Malcolm McKay. Find some people around you who are experts in this. If you're going to do this, don't. I don't recommend doing this just on a whim because you heard me say it here. So please seek medical advice before attempting a water fast. So yeah, but day one, I really noticed that there were so many times I was reaching for food to stop an unpleasant feeling that wasn't hunger. And I know this from this episode and this podcast you know, I've heard it over and over again from Andrew Taylor, from so many people that have come on this show, but 
And I've done, as I said, a four-day fast before and I experienced it, but I didn't finish that fast well. I went, finished it and there was snacks in front of me and I didn't do it properly. So I just went straight to eating the old foods straight away rather than slowly refeeding in a healthy, proper way with juice and then fruit and then, you know, more very, very, very simple plant foods. Um, Last time I just went straight from the fast into eating my old way, which was so silly. I, I just didn't prepare for the refeeding last time, which was years and years ago. I was just doing a lemon detox kind of thing years ago. I don't know, lemon and maple syrup and cayenne pepper, which was, I don't recommend. But anyway, this one is water only. And yeah, I feel really great. But I did notice back then that I started to notice things again. I started noticing smells and scents and even visually trees and leaves in a way that I didn't when I was clogged up with food. I really enjoy I mean, learning to enjoy things and to really think, oh my gosh, is this hunger or am I trying to eat or wanting to eat to stop feeling a yuck feeling, loneliness, stress, tiredness? Am I trying to not feel that feeling of anger or frustration or procrastination or whatever? And this last day and I've now been a bit over a day and a half, almost two days actually of fasting and I feel like I'm really listening to myself and going, aha, you want that because it makes you feel this, not because you're hungry, not because it's good for you, not because of any real reason to eat something. You're doing it because, you know, the kids are noisy or you're at a picnic with your friends and the food just looks good or you want to fit in or you want to whatever, you you know. I have been on this ride for a long time and I just really want to change that relationship and really have like a big wake-up call in these seven days to say, aha, you make those choices when you feel like this. And they aren't, it isn't because of hunger, it isn't because of anything other than that you're trying to avoid feeling a yucky, uncomfortable feeling And so you're going to choose a quick dopamine high from sugar, salt, fat, processed vegan food. So, yeah, even though I do eat very, very, very clean 95% of the time, it's this 5% that is keeping me away from my optimal health goals as far as energy, as far as my fitness goals, as far as my performance in lots of areas and just keeping this last little bit of weight that is excess weight. It's not meant, I don't need it. It's not making me feel comfortable. It's making me feel uncomfortable. So I'm looking forward to shifting that and really doing this properly this time. And if you are, please don't be concerned for me. I feel really, really positive. I've got really supportive people around me. I'm doing it with a friend who is inspiring me and supporting me as well. And yeah, we're both really paying attention and we won't do this if it's going to be at the detriment to our health or our families or our well-being in any way. So yeah, I just wanted to share that with you just in case you find that informative. But anyway, today Andrew Massiello is on the show and he just was fantastic to listen to his story 
Uh, it's really motivating for me on day two of a fast, actually, because he has lost 160 pounds and kept it off. He lost that in 2007, he finished, losing all that weight from 360 pounds and he's kept it off and he's doing amazing. And now you can find more from him on Facebook and at Anthony Massiello. Now his links and all the details are in the show notes. So just click on the show notes to get everything and find him. He's on Instagram at A Massiello. So it's the same spelling, but just an A. And you can find him again in the show notes, the Instagram link. And he is working with the lovely, incredible, wonderful and fellow podcast host, Dr. Laurie Marbus. And they have created Healthy Human Revolution, combining her medical expertise and knowledge and wisdom and all those things with his brilliance at being an incredible, inspiring health coach. So you can head over there. I think there's actually, yeah, the link is definitely in the show notes and all the information is there. So you can find them at healthyhumanrevolution.com. Well worth checking out if you loved Anthony and you want to spend more time with him. That's where you can spend more time with him in those places, Facebook, Instagram, and at Healthy Human Revolution. He has got so much to share with you. I don't want to cheat him out of telling his incredible story. It's just inspirational and you're going to love it. So without further ado, here's Anthony. Bye. So, hello, Anthony, and welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. Really happy to be here. Ah, I'm so excited to have you and to hear your story. So let's just get into it. Tell us about okay. where it all began. Yeah. So we'll go all the way back to childhood. So growing up, well, we won't go all the way back, but we'll go pretty far back. So growing up, my mother and brother and I lived in North Carolina, and my father lived in New Jersey. And I spent the school years, well, my brother and I spent the school years living in North Carolina, and we spent the summers living in New Jersey. And um, there was one time I came back to North Carolina to start the fifth grade. It was the summer between the fourth and fifth grades. And somehow over that summer, I had gained a lot of weight. And I don't remember it, and I didn't notice it. My brother didn't notice it. But I guess because I went back to school and I had not seen anyone for about three months, um, my friends noticed it. And that's when I started to look in the mirror and look at myself like I was overweight or fat, you know, at the, at the time, that's what I thought. And now this is in the early eighties and, you know, there weren't a lot of people who were overweight in the eighties. So it was kind of a thing, you know, at least not in my school, you know, where I was going to school, there were two of us in fact. So it became, you know, uh, almost, the way I identified myself, you know, I realized a lot of this looking back, right? That So I kind of looked back at myself, like, so I grew up overweight, thinking that I was overweight, thinking that I was fat. And then, and I was, and then, you know, if we fast forward, you know, so that's what I dealt with going through um, elementary school, then into high school, and then after high school through college and all that. And then um, I got married and by, if we fast forward now from like 1984 or something to the year 2005, I was married and we, my wife and I had one son 
He was about 16 or 14 months old at the time. And she was pregnant with our second. And I went to get a life insurance policy, a 20-year term life insurance policy, um, you know, just to, to know that my family could be taken care of if something did happen to me. And I was denied. So being denied a 20-year term life insurance policy at age 33 was a pretty heavy blow because, you know, I was doing it more as like a formality. I wasn't really doing it to see, to see if this company who was going to plug in my medical history and, and come out with a, an assessment, I didn't expect them to say, this is a bad bet. Like, this guy's probably not going to make it to 53 you know, especially while my wife was pregnant. And so that was scary. And why that, you know, so why did that happen? Right? I mean, being obese is one thing. But now, you know, 2005, there are plenty of people who are obese. So so I didn't feel very different anymore. But there were a number of complications. So I at the time, I weighed 360 pounds. I had a 54 inch waist. I was on medication for high blood pressure. I would get migraine headaches at least once, sometimes twice a week, the kind where I would have to leave work early and just come home and sit in a dark room. Um, I was recently diagnosed with sleep apnea. And my cholesterol was, they kept, my doctor kept threatening to put me on medication, but my cholesterol was high, but not to the point where I would, I would be on medication. And my blood pressure wasn't very well controlled, even though I was on medication for that one. So I guess all of those risk factors were plugged in, and it said, you know, this, this guy's not a good bet, right? And I uh, went to school for computer science, and I worked in data analytics, so I understand how these analyses work. And it's not that there's some guy at the other end of the table who says, oh, we don't need to sell any more policies today, right? I understood that it's like, you know, that this was a system, this was an algorithm that was basically telling me. And that was really, really scary for me. And it was hard. It was hard to take. But the most important thing that that did for me was it forced me to take a really careful look at my current situation. It was always easy to blow it off when a doctor would tell me that, oh, your cholesterol is high. Or you know, we're trying to control your blood pressure or a doctor would say, Hey, you should try to lose some weight. But most of the time they were overweight too. Right. And their cholesterol was probably high also, you know, if they weren't already on medications. Right. So, but this was like undeniable, like there was nothing that I could really do to justify, um, the fact that all of these risk factors added up to something that I was, that wasn't acceptable for me. And, and then I started to look at how I was living my life, you know, and what all these things really meant to me. I mean, sure, coming home from work once in a while with a migraine headache, or, or even if it was once a week, you know, was, was bad, but it wasn't on its own. It wasn't terrible. But then I would travel for work sometimes. And, you know, I would travel by myself and walking down the aisle of the airplane, you know, and feeling like all eyes on me were on me right? Meaning someone with an empty seat next to them, you know, I can just imagine that they're like, oh, please don't sit next to me. Please don't sit next to me. You know, like these are the thoughts that would run through my head. 
And these are how I would feel the eyes, you know, looking at me. And then sure enough, I would get to my seat and I would have to sit next to someone. And, and that would mean that I would have to kind of wedge myself in between the armrests and I would fold my arms across my chest and try to take up as leech, at least the least amount of space as possible so that I wouldn't overflow too much. But the truth is I did. I overflowed on both sides of the seat. And then I had to wait until the flight attendant did the demonstration with their little, um, with the demonstration seatbelt. And then I could take that demonstration. I would, I could as, you know, inconspicuously as possible, call over the flight attendant and say, Hey, can I use that to extend my seatbelt? Because I couldn't, you know, cause the normal one wouldn't reach around me, you know? So these things, when I really started noticing them, after the wake-up call that came from this insurance company, like these things became, I guess, more significant for me. They, were, they became like more difficult to deal with, and it forced me to, to, it, to know that I really had to do something about it. Yeah, wow. I can't, like, I have never been to that level of overweight, but just the shame as well, like hearing you say that, like the, like I can, I know what it's like to have people, when I was young, there was only two overweight kids in school as well. And I was one of them pretty much. And you know, people are looking at you in sport. They're looking at you in all different situations where they're not looking at the other kids. And it is that, you know, I just, you know, I really empathize and sympathize with you about that feeling and it's just a horrible feeling to have any age and then yeah and then those kinds of shame feelings tend to if you're someone like me who uses food to to cope or something yeah to self-soothe to cope to self-medicate you know you get that feeling and then it's not like you go oh i'm not gonna eat anymore yeah you get that feeling and you go the only tool i have for this yuck feeling is food and then you eat some more which is just Exactly. And it, and it creates that cycle, you know, and, and I say that I started identifying myself as being overweight because now I look at pictures, right? Because, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm sharing somewhere, I want to find a picture, you know, um, of myself from back then. And I look at myself as a kid when I just thought, I just was thinking about myself as, oh, I'm, I'm just completely overweight. But you know what, back then I don't look I didn't look too different back then to how the average kid looks today, you know, but it was enough. So I almost wonder if no one said anything to me, you know, would I ever have grown all the way up to 360 pounds? You know, would I ever have gotten to that point? It's really, that's kind of puzzling to me because how much of it is because I decided to kind of own that, right? That, that I was the, you know, fat kid for, for lack of a better term, like how much did owning that kind of lead me down, keep me locked into that path? Do you know what I mean? I actually really, I really, really do. And like you, I wasn't that, when I see kids now, I wasn't comparatively, I'd never really thought about it, but I remember myself in primary school and I was overweight for then in the eighties, but now I'm just your average kid. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I did decide that I was the quote-unquote fat kid. Yeah. And it does. Once you label yourself that, and everyone in my family, if you hear my story, everyone in my family and friends group were calling me fat. So right. 
It, so it's hard to avoid. It was everywhere that I was this fat person. So, yeah. So you just ride along with that. That's who you are. You're the fat kid. Yeah. And then and then we also, then as an adult, you know, as I went earlier in my career when I was working, you know, it kind of filled a role for some people. You know, meaning um, I remember I have a friend who got pregnant and she wanted to go out for lunch, but then she wanted to get ice cream afterwards. Right. So. Who does she invite to go to lunch that's going to be up for going for ice cream after lunch, you know, at work? Well, the, the guy who's massively obese, right? Like, he'll do it, you know? So, <laughs> so, so, and, uh, you know, other people wouldn't do that, you know what I mean? But, like, but because I feel like I kind of filled that role, you know? And, and that was much, much, I mean, that was much later. That was, um, yeah, that was in the 90s, probably late 90s or something, you know, so so not too long before that 2005, you know, when, when I'm you know, going for the insurance policy and being denied and all that stuff. It's really interesting to think about. And it's really it was hard to deal with at the time. And I don't know if it's any easier to deal with now, but but I guess the bottom line is that we don't really understand what other people are going through and we don't really understand why these things happen. And but they do. And the good news, as you know, and as I know, is that we can do something about it. Right. So I was to the point where I knew I had to do something about it, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a successful track record before. I mean, I had tried to lose weight a ton of times and it nothing ever worked. I set a New Year's resolution because that's what I do in December. You know, it was it was late October or so. And and almost every year, you know, I'm, I'm sure I set a New Year's resolution to lose weight, but I got a little more specific this year because I was so motivated. And I said, I set out to lose 50 pounds in the year of 2006. And I didn't know how exactly I was going to do that, but I said, for starters, I'm going to give up all soda and, um, and all sweets. So I'm not going to have any desserts and I'm not going to drink any, uh, you know, sugary drinks. Right. So um, I did that. And, and then I was going to what we call here, watch, you know, I was going to watch what I ate. I was going to be careful about what I ate, which for me just meant keep myself hungry. Um, I will make a mention and say that I was already vegetarian at the time. And because earlier in the 90s, one of my attempts to lose weight, I went vegetarian and it worked for a while until I figured out that ice cream is vegetarian and that cheese pizza, you know, is vegetarian. And, you know, so all of these, anyway, I found enough vegetarian junk food that I gained back all the weight I lost and then, you know, and then plenty more. But I say that now because when I was reading about how to lose weight in the early 2000s, the only thing I could find was like these Atkins diet or these high protein diets, or, you know, and I really didn't want to go back to eating meat because I was afraid. Because I know when I gave up meat, I lost weight, and then I gave it back, gained it back. But if I'm already 360 pounds as a vegetarian, then what's going to happen? You know, I was just scared, and I was sick. So I was a sick vegetarian, at, you know, and um, weighing 360 pounds. And if I went to start eating meat, I was really worried that I was going to get more sick or that I wasn't going to lose weight or it was going to be an unhealthy way to lose weight. So I didn't do that. So I just kept myself hungry and I didn't eat any sweets. And then 
you know, and for the first three months, I actually, I didn't lose any weight either. So that was kind of depressing as well. You know, by the time March rolled around, um, I was checking in on myself and I hadn't lost a single pound and I didn't understand that at all. But luckily I was still determined. So I kept searching and I remember I was searching on Google for vegetarian weight loss and Dr. Furman's book popped up. It was um, on Amazon, Dr. Furman's book, Eat to Live. And what I saw on the cover of the book was fast and sustained weight loss. And I was like, oh, that's what I want. And then I read all the reviews that people were writing about, um, you know, in the, in the comments section. And people weren't even talking about weight loss. They were talking about getting healthy. And, I, and it kind of snapped for me at that point. I was like, wait, I don't really want to lose weight. What I really want to do is get healthy. And these people are talking about getting healthy. And then as a side effect of getting healthy, they happen to lose a lot of weight. And I was like, wow, that's what I really want. Because it wasn't, you know, losing the weight alone wasn't going to make me more insurable. It wasn't going to guarantee that I was going to live for my, you know, to be around for my kids, right? But being healthy is what I really wanted. So I was like, okay, this is for me. So I bought the book and I read it. And as I was reading it, you know, as I was through chapters one and two, I just started doing it. And I wasn't perfect, but I was trying to be, meaning I didn't build in cheat days or I didn't purposely do anything that was outside of Dr. Furman's plan. So I was trying to do everything that was right on his plan. But there were, you know, there were times probably that I ordered salads that had cheese in it that I didn't realize they, you know, they, they had cheese in it, right? So, so those kinds of things would happen to me, or I'm sure there was, I was eating foods that contained oil, you know, when, if I was eating out, but it was never on purpose. You know what I mean? I was never purposely, um, doing something that wasn't leading me towards, I guess, getting the results I wanted. Does it make sense? I feel like I'm going around. It does make sense. No, it totally makes sense. I totally get it. I think a lot of people who are trying and who are trying to really stick to it can understand that sometimes shit happens and yes. you accidentally eat some cheese or some oil when you're thinking that you're doing the right thing and just, it right. just happens. And, and I mentioned that because I think that's very, very different than someone just saying, oh, well, today I'm just going to do whatever I want, right? And, and that's the distinction that I'm trying to make. I never had those times where I'm like, oh, well, I'm at a party and I might as well just have this just for tonight. You know, that I, that I still haven't done, you know, si since I started because that's, you know, this was a new attempt and that's the kind of behaviors that had kept me stuck forever, Right. So I was so I was trying. So I call it a transition period, but it was a very quick transition period. And within the first two months of just from the time that I bought Eat to Live, um, my my second son was born and his name is Henry. And when we brought him home from the hospital, I was down 30 pounds. So I was like, wow, this really works. You know, I lost 30 pounds in two months. That put me back on my on track, right? Because I was already three months in, and how was I going to lose this fifty pounds if um, I haven't lost a single pound in the first three months? So, so I was excited, 
and I did nothing but continue to try to get better. You know, I just tried every single, every single day I tried to make better than the day before. I would eat more fruit, I would eat more greens, I would eat more beans, and I would eat less of anything else and like leave less room for any kind of, um, you know, slips or accidents or, or anything like that, just trying to be as perfect as possible. And I continued for the rest of the year, I lost about eight pounds a month for the rest of that year. And by December, I lost a total of 90 pounds. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So I completely blew away the goal of losing uh, 50 pounds for the year. way better, way better. (laughs) Yeah. And by that time, I was already off my blood pressure medication. Um, I was going to see my doctor very regularly. And she was having me log my blood pressure three times a day so that she could really watch it and, and keep track of how it was going so that she could adjust my medications as we go, as we went. Um, she was also checking my cholesterol every once in a while, you know, because all these things are related. That was dropping. Um, I stopped having headaches, or at least they started getting much less frequent and before they eventually stopped. It took me a long time to get off of caffeine, but I think that was a big help for me as well. You know, but I did that as part of this as as well, and I think that helped me in several ways too. It helped me to just really have a very smooth energy. So first of all, I went from drinking coffee with cream and sugar to, you know, which is basically, you know, depending on where I get it, could probably just be called a milkshake, <laughs> um, you know, to then I switched to black coffee, which is something I didn't want to drink as often because it didn't taste as good. And then I switched to tea and then I switched to green tea, which is a little less caffeine. Then I switched to herbal teas. And then by that time I was like, well, I don't need any of this anymore. And then and then I just switched to water. But I think that helped a lot also with the headaches. And it helped me to not have these kind of highs and lows throughout my day, like meaning I didn't have to wake up with no energy and have to have a cup of coffee to get started. Yeah, I was lucky. I never, because for me, I'm so sensitive to stimulants. So I never got into coffee. And my husband drinks two cups of coffee a day. Sorry, Ranjit, I'm shaming you on on the <laughs> podcast. But he, he has gotten so much better. But for me, I just never liked it. But I see the difference as far as the energy. Like I, I don't even drink tea. I just drink, this is this is a licorice tea. So I do drink some herbal tea sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But mostly just water. And it's just that I'm I'm doing a water fast at the moment. So I just, oh, really? I just wanted you. to try a cup of tea right now because I'm day two and I'm like, oh, <laughs> you're very brave for doing an interview. On, uh, so day two. day two, just you seem fine. <laughs> I don't feel bad, but I don't normally drink anything. But I was like, licorice tea will feel like something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's good, right? I mean, it has it doesn't have the caffeine. It doesn't give you the highs and lows. No. And the thing that I was really getting away from was the caffeine because what I didn't realize is that when, you know, those highs that, or those ups that come from the caffeine, those bursts of energies, then when we fall, as someone who was an overeater, like I didn't really necessarily think that I needed caffeine. I thought that I was hungrier, that I needed food. So, you know, I just realized all of these things were contributing. So getting, you know, getting rid of them, just as, you know, Dr. Furman explained in that book, was it all really worked for me. So it clicked for me on a, on a, like a, a logical level, on an understanding level, and it really worked for me in, in practice. So it, it looks, you can't see Anthony, but it looks like it worked for you. 
<laughs> yes, it did. Thank you. It worked for me. So then I just continued because even after losing 90 pounds, I still had a long way to go. Um, I didn't, I never knew how much weight I thought losing that 50 pounds, I was going to look like a new person. And I did, you know, looking back now at pictures that were taken throughout the year, you know, I, you could see it, but I clearly wasn't done. So now I had energy like I had never had before in my life. And not just from being lighter, but from really eating all of this nutritious food and from having my body working so well. So then I wanted to set another New Year's resolution. But I already knew what to do as far as dieting, you know, or as far as uh, changing the way I was eating. So now I wanted to start exercising. And I want to mention that, I want to just mention a clear point around that as well. So I lost that first 90 pounds without doing any exercise at all. So I didn't go for walks. You know, I didn't go on the, on the treadmill. I didn't try to do any, you know, workout classes at the gym. I didn't do anything. And I think that's um, a huge credit to eating a whole food plant-based diet. Like it really is. I learned firsthand that it's all about the food. You know, it, that's what matters. And that's the thing. People still talk to people. I find it very difficult after all this time, and I'm sure you do too, when people are still around you saying, oh, you know, I just need to exercise more. And you're like, yeah, don't kill yourself and exercise a heap while still eating the foods that made you overweight. Let's just exactly. tweak that and then you'll get more energy and you'll naturally want to move and that'll be great. But don't kill yourself with you know hours and hours at the gym every day whilst you're still doing and eating the foods that got you to that place in the first place. Right. I mean, and I know everyone uses these car analogies just because they work so well, but it's like if your gas tank is full and you go to the gas station to get more gas and the and the you know the person fills you up or whatever or maybe they give you an external gas can to put on your back seat of your car and it says oh, how do I get rid of all this extra gas? Oh, drive more. You know, like the solution is not to drive more, right? It's not to move more. It's really to just stop putting the, stop putting the fuel in the body, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, And Yeah, so, so, and... Put the right fuel in the body. <laughs> exactly. And I'm saying that now like it makes perfect sense, but I grew up my entire life not getting that, you know, like not understanding that that's, that that's really what needs to be happening. And I don't really think it's common understanding today. It's not. Absolutely I mean, because not. we still have everybody saying, oh, you know, the first thing they say is exactly what you said. You know, like, oh, I need to exercise more. I need to, I need to trim down a little bit. Well, you know, it doesn't, well, we know it doesn't work, right? If you just do it that way. Or it doesn't work for long. You just can't maintain those grueling schedules for that long either. Like when they're doing that really grueling exercise routines and an Atkins diet. And they're like, I've got no carbs to fuel this grueling exercise routine. Right. And I'm 12 weeks in and now I'm back and I'm just going to eat some hot chips. I've lost, I've lost 10 kilos in the 12 weeks and I feel great. Now give me all the McDonald's. Right. <laughs> I know. It, yeah. It's, it's, a terrible, it's a terrible cycle. And it's really torture that we put ourselves through, you know, in, in trying to do this or in expecting it to work. Right. So I decided that with all my energy, I was going to use it to start running. And I had never ran before in my life. In fact, I didn't play sports throughout school. Um, I was an active person. I rode bicycles. I would go roller skating. You know, I would uh, skateboard. I would do all of those things. But I never exercised or I never trained. 
or I never played like, um, you know, a team sport or something like that. So, but I wanted to start running. And so we had a treadmill in the basement. And when my wife bought the treadmill, I did insist earlier that we got one that was strong enough to hold me, that I could use it. So even though I was down 90 pounds, you know, I was still weighing 270 pounds. That's still uh, uh, pretty big. So I got on the treadmill and I would walk. I would go on the treadmill for a half hour and I would walk. And then when I, when I was ready, I would start running. And then I would run for maybe a minute or, or less. You know, and when I would get out of breath, I would just go back down to a walk. And then as soon as I caught my breath, I would put it back up to a run. And then I got to the point where I could run like a, it was a quarter of a mile because it was like these lights on the, you know, like 400 meters, right? The lights on the treadmill looked like a track and I could run until they went all the way around, right? So, so I was happy about that. And then I would take a break and then I would do it again. And I just kept extending the amount of running I was doing and shortening the amount of walking I was doing. And then in March, I joined the running club at work and I ran my first 5K race. And for the first time, I was the one participating, you know, rather than just watching or rather than being there with my wife and just holding her stuff for her while she does it, right? But I put the number on my shirt, you know, and I, I was the one with stuff that I needed to go stash somewhere while, while I did my run. And, and um, you know, at, at these races, especially if it's a larger one, you know, everyone's buzzing around and it's like a pretty like interesting environment to be in. And especially not having experienced that from the inside before, it was cool. And at that point, like I knew that I was hooked on, you know, living a, an extremely healthy lifestyle that included eating a very healthy nutritarian or whole food plant-based diet and, and running. And i just continue. So I ran that first 5k race. I was very happy. I did that in 27 minutes, which I was like, congratulations. Thank you very much, which I was thrilled with. And then when I, when that was over, I just kept running further and further. Like, so that was March. And then I just kept continued eating more vegetables, fruits, beans, nuts, and seeds, more fruits and vegetables than I ever thought possible. And I also continued running further. And then in September of that year, I ran a half marathon. (gasps) Anthony, you're incredible. Yeah. Thank you. And and that's only nine months after I couldn't even run for a full minute. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I ran that one in an hour and 48 minutes, which I was like very happy with that time. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. And I signed up and they said, you know, how long do you think it's going to take you to finish? And I put in the number. I think I put in um, two hours or something. And I looked when we lined up because they had like these different – it was a really big race. It was down in Philadelphia. And they had these corrals, they called them, that they kind of staggered everyone in the start. And I got in one and I looked behind me and there were a whole lot of people. And I was like, am I really in the right spot? But, uh, but it worked because I put in my time and I just stayed with those people um, through the whole race. And, and it was fascinating. That is amazing, honestly. Thank you. What a massive shift from 2005. to so this is 2007, September 2007? Yes. Yep, September 2007. So it was, it was 20 months after I, after I got the um, book Eat to Live, right? And it was... And it was like 22 months or something after I made that New Year's resolution 
to figure out how to lose 50 pounds. And I literally at that point had a completely different life. The other thing that happened in September is my weight loss stopped. And it really stopped just as suddenly as it started. But at that point, I had lost a total of 160 pounds. I went from weighing 360 pounds to just around 200 pounds, like 197 pounds is what, is what I finished up. And now I still, now it's been 12 years since then, and I still hover right around that 200-pound uh, mark. And that's something that's just so foreign to me for my whole entire life. Like to go 10 pounds and have clothes that's actually to have clothes that still fit me after a year um, is is still it feels strange it's very pleasant but it, but it's strange and now my wife has to tell me you shouldn't wear that shirt anymore i'm like why it still fits <laughs> so in september that's when your weight stopped you 160 yeah. pounds wow so you reached your basically your ideal weight after 20 months yeah yeah, in 20 months. And so I, I did it all. I went from being morbidly obese, you know, on the BMI scale to being a healthy weight in, um, in 20 months. And then I decided I was going to go ahead and reapply for my insurance policy. And I was doing that because I know that sometimes they need to see history. Like they might say, oh, yeah, great. So you, you know, so you lost the weight but prove that you can keep it off for some period of time. You know, so that's what I was prepared for. Um, but instead, I actually got back the letter and I was insured and they, they insured me and they put me into a preferred category, which means I didn't even have to pay that much for the insurance. So, so that really meant a lot to me um, because what that told me is that I was, be, that I was healthy in the, on the inside, right? That all of my numbers were pointing towards having a long and active life. And that's really what I wanted. You know, I wanted to make sure that I was going to be around for my kids, that I was going to be the kind of, that I could be the kind of dad that I wanted to be, and that I would be the kind of husband that I wanted to be, you know, in, in raising children with my wife. So it really meant a lot to me. Oh, that is so wonderful. So can I ask, because people who are listening who might be, you know, at that higher weight range, 360 pounds or more or slightly less. Obviously, there must have been times when it was really hard and you were just nail, you know, white knuckling it through some, yeah. of, some of those weeks. How did you get through those periods where you were just like, I want to quit this. I want a cheeseburger. I'm at something. I want to eat this thing. Like what helped you to keep that momentum going? Yeah. So it it's different all the time. And when when I look back at it, you know, I started because I was scared. I painted a really dreary picture of what my future was going to look like. And actually, I painted a really dreary picture of what my present was like back then. Like, I thought about everything that made me miserable. And, you know, I had done, you know, we always have the choice. We can, we can paint the picture in our mind however we want to see it, you know. I very easily, if I was in a different mood when I would have read that letter from the insurance company, I might have said, oh, these guys don't know what they're talking about. I'm going to just try another company, right? Because we can shrug those things off and we can, we can um, just, yeah, pass on them and go try to find another company. If they don't insure, I could try to find another company, right? Like I could have done all of those things. But instead, I decided to internalize it and to use that 
to say, hey, my life is pretty bad right now and I need to do something about it, right? So that, that created fear. And I think fear um, create like helps us with that like fight or flight response. So it was really motivating for a short period of time and it will help us to really push through some challenges, right? Like we can always, like if we really get scared enough or we're really fearful enough, we can do some incredible things. And then what has, but we can't live like that forever, right? That can't motivate long-term. What we, then we have to do is we have to start imagining how bright the future is going to be. And for me, once I lost those 30 pounds and I brought my son home from the, you know, my newborn son, my second son home from the hospital, I was like, I started just thinking about all the things that we were going to be able to do together as a family, right? And all the things, and, and basically I was started getting used to my new body and, and just imagining all the things that I was going to be able to do better. Like, so for example, I still snowboarded, right? But snowboarding at 360 pounds and snowboarding at 200 pounds, you know, is, is a very different experience. The same is true for bicycling, you know, or, or starting to run. Like I had a new hobby that actually wasn't bad for me, you know, or dangerous or anything, you know, is like, so the fact that, so it switched at some point from that fear as a motivator to enjoyment as a motivator. And that I think is much easier to continue. And when you start thinking about it, you know, when people talk about, you know, what do you give up, right, by, by changing our lifestyles? And we give up the flavors of some foods, right? And we give up some of the experiences, like I don't go to the bar and hang out with my friends and, you know, and, and get drunk or, you know, stuff like that, stuff that used to be fun. But it really pales in comparison to how good I wake up feeling every single day. And it just took me time to realize that. So specifically when challenging situations would come up and I, you know, what, what I would normally have to decide, the decision would really be, am I going to eat something that's off my plan or am I just not going to eat right? Like in, in this moment, like, and I would just make those decisions and it would be a different motivate, you know, different things would motivate me on different times, depending on, you know, where I was along my journey and also depending on where my mental state was at that moment. You know, if I was thinking about going running the next morning and I was really excited, maybe I was going to go meet my friends and run, you know, run through the park before work or something like that. Right. Like it was easy to say, Oh, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to eat that now because I won't feel good tomorrow morning for my run. You know, I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to have that. Or if I think back to those experiences, you know, like, um, you know, walking down the, the, the aisle of the airplane or going into a conference room at work for a meeting and there were only armchairs, right? And which meant I didn't fit in the chair. You know, I literally, I'm also six foot four, so I'm pretty tall also. So being that wide and being that tall, like I, would be miserable if I had to sit in a, a, you know, a chair that had arms on it. So like, I would just think about how good it felt now to be able to go into these rooms and to sit there. And then all of a sudden those like the cakes or the cookies or, you know, the, the rich foods and, or even, um, 
you know, like cheese pizza or things that weren't, that didn't seem too, too bad. Like they just seem so much less important to me. And I think that's what really helped me to make the decisions is, is to be afraid enough in the beginning to get myself started and then to have enough of a taste of success to want more is really what I, those are kind of the things that I relied on for my motivation. And then the fact that it took me 20 months, that it took me almost two years, I completely developed new habits. You know, like if, if I'm talking to someone now and they need to lose, you know, 20 or 40 pounds, I mean, we can do that in two or three months, right? Or, or, you know, two or three or four months. I don't know if you can build all new habits in two or three or four months. Like they may have more cravings remaining when they're finished than, than I had, or they may not have reprogrammed themselves as much as I have. My whole life was entirely different. And honestly, I didn't have anything to go back to because I didn't remember what it was like to sit in the chair at night and eat a pint of ice cream and then feel bad about myself after, you know, after I threw it in the garbage and then, and then kind of sit there with my own thoughts. Like, why did I do that? You know, like all of those things were gone and they were gone for so long because it did take me so long to lose the weight that they didn't become concerns for me anymore. I think that they, a lot of people want these quick fixes. And I talk about it a lot on this show is that they want to lose it in 12 weeks. You know, everyone's selling these 12 week programs, but you're not changed in 12 weeks. No. You know, 40, if I started a 12 week diet today, at 40, a, lot, a lot of women get, I'm reaching 40 in December. And a lot of people are like cramming to get ripped and shredded for their 40th. They want to be right. this person that they haven't been their whole first 40 years. And they want to do it in 12 weeks. And you're just like, you know, this isn't sustainable. First, first of all, it isn't sustainable long term, but you torture yourself for 12 weeks, but then you're not changed. Like all the things that you used to like and all the reasons that you used to like to eat those foods are all still here. Exactly. But, but 20 months, you're a different man at the end of 12, 20 months. Right. Yeah. And, and all of the realization that I, that I did along the way, like all of the growth that came from that and the feelings of self-confidence that came from being able to, to do this for myself. And, you know, all of those things added up. You're exactly right. Like I'd be, I was a different person by the time I was done, like totally in, in almost all ways. And how did your family go with you making that big switch? Like often there's some pushback from partners or family members. Like how was it for you? Yeah. So it was fine. You know, my wife has always been incredibly supportive and to the point where it was enabling for a long time, right? Like she would, I would always say, oh, I don't feel good. I need to lose weight. And, you know, she would want me to not feel bad. So she would say, oh, oh, you're fine. You know, you don't look big. It's fine. You know, like that kind of thing. So then, but when I was ready to do this, you know, she was fine with that as well. So um, I did not invite anyone along with me on this journey. It was very much, uh, actually, she's been a healthy body weight, you know, her entire life. She's never had um, issues with that, you know, and she might say she was up 10 pounds at some point and she, you know, that was her, her fat weight or something, but, but it was nothing significant, you know, where, where it was never a medical concern or it was never even a, a looks, you know, a vanity kind of concern. So it was very much my thing. I was the one who was sick 
and I was the one who was obese and I was the one who needed to change. So I didn't worry about what anyone else was doing and no one in my, you know, my house worried about what I was doing. So did you eat separately and make separate food for yourself or was she cooking for you and everyone or how did that work? Yeah, so we both we both cooked and we would eat out sometimes and um but she was again, she was very supportive. So if all and and I was never very picky either. So as long as we had some lettuce in the fridge and maybe some shredded carrots, like I was fine. You you know, so so she could make whatever. Also, the kids were so young; they weren't really eating um, solid food. I guess my my older son was about, yeah, was almost two years old when I started. So, so he was just starting to eat food, but it still was more um, along the lines of baby foods or things that we pureed for him. It wasn't much table food, so so that wasn't a concern. It's not like we were cooking for a family of four, and I was the only one who was eating something different. So it was really only me and her. So. So and she's not she was never against eating, you know, um the stuff that I would make either because she enjoyed salads and the soups and things that we were making were really good and if we made like, you know, Mexican if we made like burritos or something like that, like you know, we eat good food, it just happens to be healthy also. So she wasn't it wasn't like she was like, "Oh, I need to have this and you know, you're going to have to cook for yourself." But um but then when we would go out to eat, she would order what she would, what she wanted, and I would order what I wanted. And I remember we would go to the diners because we live in New Jersey, and that's that's what we have here in New Jersey or, or a lot of these diners. And she would order something like the pot roast dinner, and I would get a Greek salad with no cheese and no dressing, right? And every single time they put the salad down in front of her. And they would put this pot roast dinner with these mashed potatoes and gravy. And, you know, they would put this in front of me. And then when the waiter would leave, we would have to trade plates, you know, and, and she would eat her food and I would eat my food. And that's just how it went. And then, um, so then after I was finished and then I started running and then I started out running her and then I was, you know, who had, you know, she had, I mean, she ran a marathon before we got married, you know, in 2000, in 1999, I think she ran her first marathon. So she's been uh, running a long time and then she couldn't keep up with me. And, and at that point I even had the kids in the stroller and I could beat her. And then, you know, and she just saw that I felt good all the time, how much energy I had. So she just started eating more, you know, like, like I was eating more of a whole food plant based diet. And then eventually she just, you know, committed a hundred percent as well. And she committed about the time our younger son started eating, um, you know, solid or table food. So the kids are pretty much raised on a whole food plant based diet. So now we all eat this way. So now it's very easy. There are none of those concerns about who, you know, whose food is what, you know, it's a, it, we only have things in the house that all of us will eat. And uh, the kids are now um, 13 and 15 years old, and they're doing great. They're very healthy. You know, we, we go to the pediatrician every year because they need to get sign-offs for forms to play sports at school. And he even says, oh, here's my healthy family. I only get to see you guys once a year, you know, and he does, you know, they go through the, the checkup and they're fine. And, and I think that makes them proud as well. Yeah. How do your kids go with socializing? Is that, is that tricky for them? It's not that tricky. And the reason why is because it's different now than when, when I was growing up. Like, like we, we're in a small school system, 
And I remember we had a sleepover. So we had like a whole bunch of maybe eight-year-olds or, or nine-year-olds or something staying over at the house. And one of them was gluten-free. And the other one was allergic to nuts. Another one is allergic to dairy. You know, and then, and then my son Henry is vegan and avoids sugar and processed foods, right? So by the time you put everyone together, everyone is used to helping to accommodate a child. So if somebody's having a pizza night at their house, they know they need to get a gluten-free pizza for, you know, for the one kid and they need to get a pizza with no cheese on it for, uh, you know, with spinach and broccoli and no cheese, you know, for, for Henry to eat or something like that. So it's not as bad as it's not as challenging as we think. There are some situations like, um, you know, if they, if there's a function at school and they bring in a couple of food trucks, you know, there's not always an option, but we can just eat afterwards. And it's not, and it's never really a big deal. Um, they pack their own lunches anyway, and they bring them to school. So they're not really concerned with what's being served in the cafeteria. And even then, you know, my, my son wants to sit at the nut free table because, uh, one of his friends has this nut allergy. So he just makes sure he doesn't bring something that has nuts in it. So he can sit at that table. So it's really not too bad. And I think, you know, if anything good is coming from all these food allergies that kids seem to have these days, it's the fact that everyone's pretty accommodating. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I, I agree. And I think that many, like my parents, when I was going to, or maybe not even my parents, but people were saying, you know, how, how's it going to be at school? And it is just so much easier because of the, the gluten-free people and the nut-free people and the egg allergies and the dairy allergies. And it's, it makes it much, much easier. If not, I don't wish that all these kids were allergic to all these foods. I know. Yeah. And the reason why is probably not the foods themselves. There's probably other things that are, you know, reasons why they're allergic to them. But, and it is unfortunate, but it does, it raises awareness at least. It's not like there's one odd person out, right? And I remember when we first, I think one of the first meals when my son started at public school in the first grade, I think he just wanted to bring beets and avocado. And, and uh, my sister-in-law said, you cannot let him bring beets and avocado to school. She was so worried that he was going to be made fun of for just eating beets and avocado for lunch. But he was fine. None of the other kids pay attention to what he's eating. It's not, you know, like we project so much of the, so many of these feelings that we think that, or maybe these experiences that we really did have. So I'm not saying that we're making them up. You know, we probably experienced some of these things yeah. when we were younger. I was a complete jerk to kids who bought funny things to school. <laughs> really? I know. Like only one kid, she had rye, dark rye and like a beautiful, healthy, like alfalfa, like gorgeous lunchbox that I was think is amazing now, but I'd never seen in my small town, I'd never seen dark rye before. I'd only seen white bread, you know? Yeah. In a square. I'd never seen. <laughs> a big this, oval piece yeah, of bread. Yeah, a big oval. And now my kid is that kid. <laughs> so I feel very bad. I say to him, look, I'm so sorry for the girl who I, yeah. who I picked, who I was like, your bread looks like it's made from poo, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and now I feel I, I want to go back and talk to a young Corinne and say, cut it out. <laughs> right, exactly. Or, uh, yeah, or just make sure that you're, wait, you have a son? Two, two boys like oh, you. Oh, two, two boys. Eight oh, and four. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Mm. So you can just warn them and say, look, if there's a girl who's making fun of you, it's my fault. They're, you know, <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> like. It, blame me, not I, them. Okay, absolutely. it's my fault. <laughs> I know. Well, I said to them, you know, just people are just scared. I was a scared little girl. I'd never been around brown bread before. <laughs> right. 
That's you so know, funny. it's their problem, not your problem. Yeah. yeah. But it's great to do this for the kids. I mean, you know, the the head start that we're that uh, we're giving them, I think, is so valuable. And it's so important that, you know, it's definitely worth dealing with any challenges. So I'm, I'm not saying everyone is going to have it as smooth as I did. You know, I got lucky in a lot of ways. But even if someone is dealing with some challenges, like I look at parenting as an investment, right? Like, like it's hard now, but it's worth it later, right? So, so even if there are little things, like if we, if we would go out to a birthday party and there would be a cake and, um, you know, my, let's say, let's say they did decide to, to have a slice of the cake, right? I would just ask on the, you know, when I picked them up or something, oh, you know, what'd you, what'd you guys do at the party, whatever, what'd you have? Did you have some cake? Oh yeah, I had some cake. And I say, how was it? They're like, it was okay. Or if they might even say, oh, it was a little too sweet. I didn't really like it. Right. Then I'm like, that's fine. Right. Because, because it's not like, but if they ever got in the car and they say, oh my gosh, this was the best thing in the world. Like I had this, you know, exactly. I see the expression on your face. Like then it's like, you know, parenting red flags go up. But it doesn't mean that I have to make a big deal of it in the moment. But it means that now I have to figure out how over time, you know, slowly I'm going to course correct this and steer this in a direction that's not going to create problems for them down the road. Right. So so that's what I mean by, you know, treating it like like an investment. It's not something that we need to fix in, in the moment. We just need to get them down, the, you know, the right path. And um I also know that I had a lot of damage to undo because I had abused my body for so long and they have not. Right. So, you know, so if they have a, if they have two slices of cake and it happens to have sugar in it and, and, you know, and even milk or something, you know, if they have two slices throughout a year or something, it's probably not going to hurt them from a health perspective. And as long as it doesn't trigger them from a behavioral perspective, then I'm, you know, then I'm not going to make a big deal about it. Yeah, and that's a great way to look at it. But I think that for me, yeah, it is. You just you do think about that because it's so addictive. Yes. That once you get that taste, it is that behavioral perspective that you're, as a parent, for me, I get worried about. But yeah. what you're saying is we, we just do continually educate and talk about. And I have to keep learning myself, you know, all the time. Because yes. sometimes I say things quickly, like horrendously, like Iggy was talking, a boy at school wobbled Iggy's, my son's calf and said, you're f- you're fat, and Iggy's oh. like this tall bean pole. But if it's not flexed, right? I know exactly what you mean. The calf skin, the calf muscle, kind of hangs there. Yeah, yeah, it's easy. And so he's been so caught up in this that this kid, he's in grade oh two, gosh. for goodness. Wow. And it's been tricky because it's a dialogue in the classroom and just navigating that from me without making some kind of making it a problem in his head. You know, like I just trying to correct it and then talk about food without making it labeling foods that make you fat and foods that make you thin because then it makes it a whole big thing and I don't want to cause an eating disorder in my son. So, yeah, just trying to navigate these situations, it's never straightforward, but I, you know, get better as you go along. Exactly. And it's worth the effort that you're putting into it, right? And the thought that you're putting into it, because it, I, I do believe it is that important. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't say I take it lightly, but I don't want to create those issues either. Exactly. Like you said, we can do that. Yeah. Cause you can do it. Cause when you're constantly saying a whole food plant-based diet does this, 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 and this, and he's like, you know, folks so focused on it in a way that makes it unhealthy. 
yeah. you know, the mental side of it unhealthy. That's what I just trying to navigate and negotiate with that. But I like your attitude as just being trying to be more chill about it. And I, I I'm not a chill person by nature, but I mean, but I mean, I do think that as I get along, I'm just more like Look, these foods are this. And if you have some of that, then let's eat some of this. From now on, and just be curious. How does it? How does it feel in your body? How do you? How do you feel today? And often they'll say, "I've got a headache now," or "I feel right. sick in the tummy," or "I don't feel as fast." Right, and that's helpful. So asking those questions and getting them to say those things when you notice that they feel those things are huge. You know, my younger son, even if he has like something that has like some um, maple syrup or something in it, like, or even if he just has something like vegan pancakes with no syrup on them, like he's often not himself for the next three or four hours, you know, and it's, and I, you know, we ask, you know, do you think it has anything to do with what you had for breakfast? You know, because he's like, I just don't, you know, he's like antsy and anxious. Like maybe they put sugar in the batter. I don't know how they do, you know, I don't know what they do if we're out at a restaurant and we have those. Right. But, um, but just noticing those things and asking them and letting them, I, letting them realize that, Hey, like what I eat does affect me, you know? And when I eat good food, I feel pretty good. And when I don't, sometimes it doesn't, I don't feel good. Absolutely. I think it's so great that kids that more kids are getting educated on this, like how foods make you feel and mindful eating, because, you know, you and I never got taught that and you are just mindlessly shoving food in your face without thinking what makes you feel good and bad or how it, how it plays in your body. So it's really wonderful to hear you and all many other guests on the show talking about that the kids are noticing and having, having these discussions, even with their peers in class. Yeah, definitely. And we did create some stress a little bit. You know, they watched this Rip Esselstyn's has a TED talk. So it was a, it was a, it's just a 20 minute talk. And I think it's called plant strong and healthy living. And it's really worth watching. And, you know, he has his firefighter perspective that he shares there. And he talks about slaying dragons, you know, the, the, like when they're fighting fires. And then he associated this five-headed dragon is chronic disease, right? One is maybe heart disease and one is, um, you know, diabetes and what, you know, one is obesity and what, whatever, right? So, and he talked about how important it was to eat a vegan, whole food, plant-based diet. So this was when the kids were quite younger. And then they were like identifying with vegan and they were like, they were actually writing on the driveway with chalk and they wrote vegan and stuff. And then they went to camp one day and they had pancake day. And my son came home, he was really upset and he started crying in the car. He's like, I didn't know if I could eat the pancakes or not, you know, because I didn't know if they were vegan and I didn't know how to tell the, um, like, you know, whoever was handing them to them, like what I ate and what I didn't eat, you know, and like, so then that's where I talked about, you know, the difference between, you know, being a whole food plant based where, you know, we do have a little bit of room. Like if you're eating a pancake, it's not an incredibly healthy thing. I mean, we can make healthy pancakes at home, right? But but if you're out and you're eating a pancake, like it's not healthy whether it's vegan or not. So the decision is, you know, am I going to choose to have this pancake or not? Like, you know, if it happens to have milk or egg in it or butter, like isn't the the most like isn't really to worry about right so like we don't really have to kind of split the hairs to those details and and that did help them because there was that those feelings of anxiety that that you were describing and and that's not what it you know that's not what it's about first of all at least if you're worried when we're worried about personal health and then second of all that's not like 
that could lead down the road to issues and, and concerns and and feelings of deprivation. And I want to be very careful not to not to start to bring those in, especially at like, you know, age eight or something like that. Absolutely. It's a very tricky path to, to navigate. Now, I realize we're getting close to an hour. So I just wanted to quickly get you to tell us where people can follow you on the internet and where people can find you online and those places. So you can find me on Facebook. It's Anthony Massiello. And you can find me on Instagram. It's my first initial A, my last name, Massiello, M-A-S-I-E-L-L-O. And then I'm now working um, on a project with my partner, Dr. Lori Marbus, and with Jason Cohen, it's called The Healthy Human Revolution. And we have a website, we have a free seven-day course for new people who are learning about starting a whole food plant-based diet. And uh, Lori has a podcast also where she, where she talks to a lot of um, uh, physicians and other leaders in the field to help get information that's very easily digestible you know, by the public. So so that's another project that I'm that I'm really happy. So and it's nice it's fun to have discussions and conversations with people with uh with Lori cuz she's a family medicine physician and then I'm coming at everything from a health coaching perspective. So I'm really looking at the behavioral concerns and she's really looking at the medical concerns and sometimes there are no medical concerns but there are you know big behavior issues that that need to be considered when making decisions, right? So so we partner really well, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. So it's I a fun love project. Laurie and her podcast. They're fantastic. Yeah. She's fantastic. Yeah. I'm so excited for you and the work that you're doing with Healthy Human Revolution. Is that a website or is it a Facebook page or how can they find that? It's all of that. Yeah. It's so all of I'll, that. Yeah. So healthyhumanrevolution.com. And then, and then we do have an Instagram and we have a Facebook. The links will be in the show notes for everyone to go check them out. Great. The links for those are on the website, so they can find them there too. Awesome, awesome. That's healthyhumanrevolution.com. Now, Anthony, before you go, what are your three biggest tips for anyone wanting to transform their health with a whole food plant-based diet? So number one is to get started today. Like there is no reason to wait. There's never going to be a good time. There's never going to be a convenient time. You know, I know that we're going to be start thinking about holidays and things, you know, in, in the next few weeks coming up. But it doesn't matter. Um, you just need to start and then deal with anything as it comes up, whether it's a holiday, a social situation, or whatever, because that's where, as you mentioned earlier, that's where we grow, right? That's where we learn and grow. And if you face these challenges earlier, it just means that you're going to be stronger sooner to, uh, to get started. Tip number two, I guess, is don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Like, really take care of yourself. Like, that's... That when it comes down to the end of the day, whether no matter how much someone cares about you, no one else can do this for you, and no one else can can take your health away from you either. Like it, it's only it's such a personal thing that you're the only person that can earn it for your for yourself. And number three, there's pressure to come up with three. Number three <laughs> is build is build um, healthy community. Yeah, you you nailed it on the spot. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But um, and and community can mean a lot of things these these days. Like I do a lot locally with my community. I host potlucks and things, and and actually meals at restaurants, and we do things in person, um, because that's a really nice type of connection. But we have such an amazing opportunity where we can make these connections online. Um, 
We can make connections by doing things like listening to your podcast, right? I mean, we can really get to know you through listening to all these episodes on your podcast, and we can hear these conversations that you have, and it's almost like we, we're a part of them. But what it does is by supporting that, and I mean, by by affirming the the actions that we're taking in our personal lives, by by immersing ourselves in this information and these experiences that other people have in our same situations, we really keep it on the front of our mind and it makes it so much easier for any of us to succeed um, individually. I couldn't agree more. And I think that a lot of people think that if they've read something once, they should be able to just do it. And if they can't yeah. do it, then it's not for them. And you're like, no, I need to listen to this myself multiple times a week just to keep the resolve. Like, Not that I need much of it now because it's just, you know, things have happened. But even to clean up stuff, you know, it took me a long time to get rid of all oil. It took me a long time now. I'm still weaning off salt. You know, it takes a long time. And the more I listen to stuff, the more I'm like, okay, Corinne, you know, you know you have to get rid of peanut butter. <laughs> you know, <laughs> all right. You know you're going to. Yeah. It's great. I love it. And I think that it, Assuming that my inner willpower will take me through everything without constantly getting some feedback that I'm doing the right thing, it's naive. Yes, it, it is. And to think that we're going to remember everything for a long time is also naive. And that's why, you know, new books come out all the time and I still buy them and read them, you know, like, and I've been doing this now for 15 years, right? But, but because it's, it's, a gift to myself to keep these things in the front of my mind and to reaffirm the things that I'm doing and to learn the little nuances that, you know, that these brilliant people are figuring out as, as we go, like there's new information coming out all the time and, and why not know it? And, and if nothing else, it also helps when, when people challenge us. Um, I, I don't fight back, you know, when people challenge, I just let people say their piece but I have the confidence because I do keep up with all of this that at least it doesn't it doesn't knock me off, right? It 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 doesn't cause me to stray, it keeps me on track. It's interesting, I know I have to hang out, but I used to live with this woman. She was Italian, she's beautiful. She's never listened to this podcast because she doesn't want to, but Okay. I love her very much. And when I lived with her, I was just I had MS but I hadn't committed. And so she would say, "There, just eat this. Don't be silly, you know." And I knew about the, I knew about it. I'd read one two-page thing when I lived with her, and so I knew about the diet. And I would say, "I think I should be eating this." And she'd say, "Don't worry about it. Eat this beautiful Italian food that she was making. You know, that was amazing." Yeah. And she's like, "It's not much meat in it. It's oil, lots of olive oil, but not much meat, and still whatever." And she would keep telling me, "No, no, 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 no." And just yesterday, I talked to her again, and. And then I would – so when I was living with her, I was just eating all the bad things because she kept reinforcing – I only read two pages of one research paper by Dr. Roy Swank mm-hmm. about MS and saturated fat. And so I was just, okay, well, fine. You're here in my house and you're making this food. I'll eat your food, whatever. I'll listen to you. And then yesterday I wrote to her out of the blue and said, we'll catch up for lunch. And she said, I'll cook. And I said, look, I'll bring my own food. I want to bring whole food, plant-based, vegan, no oil. And she went on this big rant about oil and how oil's good for you and how so great for you. And any expert that you've heard, there's millions more that say olive oil is the best. And old Corinne, who hadn't spent all these years reading, would have been like, okay, you know, I'll eat your oil food. I'll do the thing. Because she was really going at me about how oil's so great. I'm just telling this for any listeners who are out there, you know, the more reading that I've done and this podcast and my life, 
it has formed this thing that now I can stand up to bully food oil oil bullies like her who yeah. are saying, I'm just like, I'll bring my own food. And she's like, sure, but angry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sure with the best intentions, she right? She just wants to have a good time with you. She wants you to enjoy Absolutely. the food that she makes, right? She's and not she trying to hurt you. cooking Italian food with oil. She yeah. just thinks it's – she's Italian and she loves the olive oil. But she doesn't know what you know, She right? doesn't know yeah. what I know. So, yeah, just the, that – I can't agree with you more yeah. that keeping those books in the forefront of your mind and the audio podcasts and the YouTubes and whatever style of learning is for you, whether it's listening or watching or reading – Keep doing it. Don't think because you've listened to this one episode that you've got it because it's so easy to drop when the next next week when this this podcast is in your back of your mind and something comes up with a donut and says, just this once, just have this. It's right. watch, watch it every day. Watch these things every day. Go to Human exactly. Health Revolution and listen to yeah. Laurie, Mar- Laurie Marvis's podcast. Yeah, she had some good ones. She has some good interviews too, but it's exactly like like – like you said, it, it keeps us, yeah, it keeps, it, it's what serves us best, right? We just continue learning and it only helps us, right? And we keep these, the stories, you know, from people's personal experience and the information from the physicians and it all adds up and it only results in, in positive things for us. So why not? Absolutely. And if you listen to one podcast like this one and you're like, well, that, I just hate that. Listen to lorries, listen to rituals, listen to Simon Hill and Plant Proof. You know, there's, listen to the exam room. You'll find one that resonates with you. Right. Just pick one. <laughs> Just pick one. Yeah. Or 10 like yeah. I do. <laughs> you know, or all of them. One with plenty of smiles and laughter like this one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? This yeah. is great. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you good. so much, Anthony, for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. And thank you for doing your this work with the podcast because I know – that it's not necessarily easy, but it does help so many people. It really is so valuable. So I really appreciate you doing that for everyone. Thank oh, you. Thank you. I'll thank my husband as well because he edits it, which <laughs> would be, wouldn't happen without him. I hope we didn't give him too much work to do on this one. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> thank you so much, Anthony, for coming on the show. I needed to hear that today. I really did. You really inspired me. To keep moving forward with your top tips, get started today. I loved that. And don't worry about what anyone else is doing, which I couldn't need to hear more <laughs> day two of a water fast. You can find Anthony at Facebook at Anthony Massiello and Instagram A Massiello, as I mentioned in the introduction to this episode. And also you can find him at healthyhumanrevolution.com. Everything's in the show notes, as I said. I would love it if you could give this episode a share on social media or if you could follow this, subscribe to this podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. I put out episodes every Monday slash Tuesday. You can also join me over at Plant-Based and Thriving on my Facebook group. And you can go to my website if you want some health coaching from me. That's com. And if you love this podcast even more than I can even comprehend, you can subscribe and become a paying member over at Patreon which I'll put in the show notes as well. I am so, so, always just so overwhelmed that people pay some money to support this podcast. It really, really helps because it takes a lot of time and effort and 
yeah, it makes my absolute day and month to know that you're all still helping keep this podcast going. So thank you all who are paying patron supporters and everyone who becomes one in the future. Thank you so much. Without you, it's very difficult to keep making a podcast. Thank you all for listening. I love you all. I'm so grateful to everyone, no matter how you support this podcast, whether it's just talking about it with your friends or if you share it on social media or if you mention it to a colleague at work over lunch, however it is that you share, if you subscribe, if you however it is that you're supporting this podcast and my work, if you tag me on social media or if you comment and refer people to me, I, um, I'm always so honoured. If you message me, feel free to message me anything. I just love hearing from you all. I love you all so much because you're just out there trying to be your best selves and that makes me really, really happy. So however I can pay it forward to you or pay it back to you with this podcast or just giving you a love heart on social media or whatever, know that I'd love to write you essays of thanks, but sometimes I have, most of the time I have a little four-year-old boy who's telling me that she hates my phone, so I have to be off my phone as much as possible, not just for him, for my own mental health, but a lot for him. So if I don't reply for more than a love heart, know that there is so much more than a love heart that I'd love to say to you. Thank you all. I love you all. See you next week. Bye. Bags are packed. Are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road. Riding with you in the sunnier day.